0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today is always my host, Evan Sidery. Join my co host, Brandon Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at East You can follow Brennan on Twitter at Brandon Clean14. We're joining with our usual Monday episode in the offseason three days a week throughout the rest of the summer. And we have a special combine episode for you today because that kicks off, I believe, this week or next weekend because I know they're all going to be jumbled together. The lottery this year is in Chicago. So it'll be very fun to see that next four to five days in Chicago. But we have the entire combine list for you guys. I'm not going to go through all 69 names, but. There's a lot of names this year that kind of surprised me as far as they're actually going to be there, like names like Muhammad Bamba, Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter Jr. The only really two main guys that are off this list are Robert Williams from Texas A&M, who's probably a ten number 10, number 15 overall pick, or and DeAndre and who's probably a consensus number two, top one, top two pick right now. So what's your initial reaction to this list of, of candidates for the, the combine this year? Because I feel like it might be one of the most loaded classes we've seen.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. There's a lot of... Uh... I don't know if it's more than most years but a lot of guys I'm particularly interested in this year that are in that just hyper-athletic wing type mold and so they're kind of the guys that tend to be the most interesting at the combine just from a perspective of seeing like how high they all can jump and what exactly their length measurements are and things like that so it's going to be a, another way to kind of sort through the prospects and get an idea of where they rank physically and athletically. And then, you know, it's some of it's just fun to watch.
0: How much merit do you put into like the combine compared to like on film, what you see throughout the season? Cause I know like some teams really value the combine while some teams really don't.
1: I think in my mind, if it's drastically different than your interpretation based on how they played in games, then I think it can kind of affect how I would think about a certain guy. Um, and then some of it, I mean, the the biggest example one that I've been seeing talked about a lot too is Landry Shamet and his wingspan. It's like back and forth between as you know as little as like six eight or six nine wingspan all the way up to seven foot, and something like that can really change the outlook on a guy. And so, you know, if it either backs up something you're seeing where his maybe a, an earlier measurement in high school or something was smaller, but it looks like, wow, that guy's, you know, much longer and affecting plays more often than I really thought he could, and then, oh, you know, he, his arms grew, and he's much more physically imposing now. I think that can affect how you think about someone, and then on the other side, you know, if somebody makes some big plays here and there, but then ends up being somebody who doesn't really show up athletically in an environment like the uh, combine, then, you know, maybe it does kind of change your expectation for what they could do moving forward.
0: What really intrigues me with the combine, I think this might have been added, I don't know if it was last year or the year before that, but very recently they added in the five-on-five five and three-on-three three skirmishes, and that's really interesting from that point of view because it allows executives and really draft nicks like us to really analyze how they look against these actual competition that they're going to be competing against to be drafted one through 60 on draft night. So we saw a guy like Kyle Puzma last year really rise due to the five-on-five five and his really strong workout circuit, which landed him in the top 25 compared to maybe early second round projections. So... Are there any guys that really stand out to you as far as like this could be the Kyle Kuzma, of the combine that really blows up maybe 10 or 20 spots? It's
1: tough to I mean it's tough to know. Do you have a guy in mind? Is that why you were setting me up? Because I I don't know if I have one off the top of my head that could do that.
0: I feel like for me, it's guys like Troy Brown and really guys like Melvin Frazier, those sort of wings that have like the head. Yeah, I was
1: I was gonna say Zaire. I think he's somebody who if he just puts a couple crazy games together in those, you know, exhibition environments. So I guess he kind of fits into that mold, too.
0: Is it? I feel like we're kind of getting very similar to the point with like guys like Frazier, Brown, Zaire Smith. Is the shooting question one of the biggest things you look for as far as, like, if this guy had a shot, like, if he had a jumper, he could be a top-five pick in this draft?
1: Yeah, and I think that's honestly, I mean, looking forward even past the combine a little bit, but obviously you get a little bit of it the combine too, is just the the individual workouts that you and I are going to be able to go to for the Suns. Um, I think that's an even better environment to really get up close and see a guy's mechanics. And, you know, I think we were both pretty excited about the D. Anthony Melton article that Mike Schmitz wrote over at ESPN that documented his kind of shooting development and looked a lot more comfortable. I think those kinds of things are really important. And if somebody like Melton can do it with – you know, he had much more time to work on it between now, between when he last played and when we saw that. But these guys have had about a month or so now, depending on when their season ended. I think it's not unexpected that one of them could cop, could pop up with an improved jump shot if they really just got to work on that specifically for the last month, two months.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up D'Anthony Mellon he's another guy. That you, If you're not paying attention to those guys, those are some guys you really need to watch for at number 16 overall. I feel like since the number one guys in this draft, because I feel like at this point we all know the Suns will pick one through four. And most likely the guys that like Muhammad Bamba, Marvin Bagley, unless I really get blown away and shocked by what their agent does, they'll probably just be there for interviews only and not really working out. So are there any guys in the 16 range or maybe a little below that right now that could be guys that are going to work out that could really pop off as far as like this could be a typical, a typical Suns pick? Because I feel like looking through the list, we've already mentioned guys like Landry, Landry Shamit, Aaron Holiday makes a lot of sense to me. Maybe at number 16 if, he has sh- if his shot's legit. Other guys like Jacob Evans make some sense too. So are there any names on this list that Suns should keep an eye on at the Combine?
1: Yeah, there's a couple guys, I think. Melton, obviously, for the reason that he didn't play, and so it's really our first extensive look at him since last March. Um, he's going to be interesting to me just to kind of see where his how his game has evolved overall. I mean, he could be a completely different player. Um, if he worked on the correct things, I think he's a really perfect fit. In Phoenix. So, if he kind of refined the defense and three point shot, then I think he could be a really interesting option there. But I mean, even Mitchell Robinson is the same type of guy as him, somebody who didn't play this year at all. So, this is to, it's our first, in his case, opportunity to see him against top competition. Um, and then I think there's, you know, other examples similar to that. Maybe Bruce Brown is another guy just because he got injured this year and wasn't really able to have a sophomore season that he questionably came back for so those are those are the the few guys where it's just we didn't get an extended look at them Anthony Simons I guess would be the other one there too with him not even playing in college he is coming out as a high school player so those would be my my guys just from a um I don't know about how many of those the Suns would necessarily look at I think they're all within reason at 16 or 31, depending on how things shake out. But um, it's a much better opportunity to see those guys than like random little YouTube videos and uh, rumors from local papers and things like that. It'll be a really high profile situation for them to to play.
0: Now, compared to last year, I think that the class between like 20 and 45 is more stronger than last year's class. Even though guys like Jordan Bell, who I really loved. I don't even know how at this point he slipped to 37 or 38, wherever he went. But are there any guys, I feel like, they could lock on maybe early on like Davon Reed from Phoenix. I know John Gamador had that like two and a half months before the draft and started that they were locking on Davon Reed for the second round pick. So looking at Davon Reed's profile, he was one of the best overall shooters. And obviously he brings that modern day length that Phoenix is prioritizing. He has like a plus six inch wingspan to his height. So are there any sort of guys like that that really pop off the page as far as like if he really stands out at the combine that he could be a guy that's the Suns target early? Because for me, I think guys that we mentioned already, guys like Mo and Fraze from Tulane, even Kevin Knox, if he has a plus wingspan, he drops a little bit on boards and think he, he could actually make some more sense than we think at 16.
1: Yeah, I think it would be – he'd definitely be gettable at, at 16 in my mind. I know a lot of people have him high, and it could just be a thing of the archetype he, he fulfills. He's you know pretty much the second guy in that mold after Mikhail Bridges, I think. So maybe if a team just really covets that, and the Suns clearly do, Um, they would be a a candidate. But if somebody above them just snatches him, I I guess. But I think that he's definitely within reason at that spot. I think at 31, maybe Tyus Battle from Syracuse, he's been somebody who's kind of lingered right in that range. I don't – I just think it's obnoxious to watch Syracuse play, so I haven't really dove in on him a ton. We all saw him in the tournament and stuff, but – yeah, I guess he's he's somebody who jumped out the past couple times I've looked around at who might be there at 31 and fits kind of that Dave Reed mold a
0: little bit, I think. Now, this, this guy's kind of way off the page as far as a Dave Reed comparison, but I've seen some draft buzz lately on Twitter with follow guys like Kellen Olsen over Arizona Sports, Jackson Hoyle, the in. They brought up Kevin Huerta a couple of times from Maryland. He's a sharpshooter. I've, I've only watched maybe like 10 minutes of film. I need to dive in more on him over the next month or so. But he's a really intriguing guy I wanted to bring up today because man, he can shoot the ball, he can shoot the lights out from deep, and he could be a perfect fit, because I know James Jones, the Vice President of Basketball Operations, was on Doug and Wolf, I believe, earlier this week. I believe, actually, Buckley Murata, excuse me, he mentioned he mentioned really the, them t- prioritizing shooting this summer. That's going to be their main priority to help build around Devin Booker and Josh Jackson. So, is Kevin Huerta a guy that, he might not be on a lot of radars right now, but if he can, shoot, if he can legitimately shoot 40% from three, I feel like he's a guy that could be a Suns target really early on.
1: Yeah, he shot 42% from three this year, and when when Jackson tweeted that I was like I really just have to trust my instincts more because I went back and watched a Duke Maryland game, really for Bagley and Carter and, and the Duke guys, but then, you know, Bruno Fernando, somebody at Maryland that that's been getting some hype recently, also will be at the Combine this year. But I noticed this guy too, like immediately, just jumped out at me, especially with Jake Lehman getting drafted by Portland a couple seasons ago in a similar type of player, I think. And I was like, wow, this guy, he has just the, the vibe of an effective NBA player and with Maryland's success at developing those kinds of guys with Justin Jackson in there too, like, this, this just feels like a draft pick. I, I wasn't even thinking about the Suns, but I was like, I haven't heard this guy's name at all, but he seems really competent as a 3 D player. And then I kind of just, you know, forgot about him or put it in the back of my mind. And then when Jackson tweeted about it, Kellen went back and, and did some Diving too, I think, and there was some conversation around him. I think that he makes a lot of sense. I think defensively, he's not up to par with Lehman or Jackson. He's not as good of an athlete as those guys. It's tough to know if he can attack closeouts or anything right now because they just didn't play through him offensively. But yeah, he's definitely he's six seven, but he probably could play the two or the three. You know, depending on maybe the four if he really develops his strength and his defense, but um he's he's exciting i think you know i think they even depending on what they were to do in the second round i know that their picks are on the kind of bookends of the second round but if they really were aggressive about a guy any of these guys but especially someone like him that might be a little lower on the radar from other teams maybe they trade up a little bit in with their second second round pick and, and grab somebody like that or any of these guys we're talking about i wouldn't be surprised if they grab one of those because they're going to be cheaper than the first rounders and you shove them at the end of the bench give them a two-way deal something like that it's a lot easier to stash those guys on your roster
0: I think it's really interesting how the Suns are going about with their picks right now they currently have four but I imagine as we've talked about plenty on this podcast I feel like they're probably only going to use maybe maybe two maybe three at most I feel like so what's your read I think it's been like a week or two since I asked you but we're I think we're about eight days away from the NBA draft lottery so how do you Lay as far as the assets and how the Suns should use those on draft night?
1: It's, it's tough. I think the easy option is always to, I don't know, I mean, draft and stash a player, but they really haven't done that very much. The Suns, historically, outside of Bogdan Bogdanovich, there hasn't been a high-profile situation under McDonough where they've gone that route. I think that part of that, though, is in the past they have not been in a situation where they needed to bring in fewer player. I think that that you know previously they were really just about accumulating as many young assets as they could—players, picks, whatever—to build a package for trading, or just you know throw darts at the board and see which one of them could work out. And so you know they've been able to to acquire talent that way as a priority. This time, maybe that's not the priority. Maybe they are more aggressive. It's just tough to tell on that that end how they'll really, whether they'll do it, how they would go about it, what kind of guy they would look at, what programs they might have a connection to overseas. Um, that's just really tough for me to peg. But, I mean, the other option, I, I guess, would be to trade up maybe. it But then that will kind of make me think that they would be diving back into the very end of the first round, maybe 31 and um, fifty nine 58 um and going back up into the first but that kind of seems unlikely to me too because that's going to be another really talented player that you're not going to have room for have three first rounders on your roster it almost seems like having a guy in the second round maybe if they were to actually take a player at 58 or something that that guy would get playing time you know that might be easier to do than uh, somebody at like 28 or something like that
0: yeah, I actually have a very similar read to you on that. I feel like if they are going to move around, it's going to be moving up. I don't feel like it'll be some sort of situation where it's the opposite. But before I move on real quickly to a discussion I want to touch on today, which relates to my written story that's coming out tonight on Bright Side of the Sun. But one more prospect, I'm glad you touched on it because he's very interesting to the point where if they do go draft and stash, they did hire the first European head coach in NBA history and Igor Kokoskov. They could draft his former point guard, Luka Doncic, but – they could add even more foreign talent to this team if they do go Daznan Musa at sixteen. I feel like he's a guy. I've I've dove in recently the last few days on him, and he makes a lot of sense. They want to draft him stash for a few years and really wait on that possibly forty plus forty percent three point shooter.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't. I mean, have you read anything about how likely he would be to come over? Or anything? I haven't really been able to to keep track of that as the season gone has gone on. Do you. Is there anything, any rumors or anything about that?
0: I've read some rumors. I don't know if they're true or not, but it's from like overseas. But it says that if Musa was in the lottery, he would likely go over. But it seems like he's very comfortable staying over with KKCW for another year or two if, if the team had drafted him wanted to be.
1: Okay. Yeah, I guess I had always just kind of been pegging him as someone who would come over. But he's not in an like incredible team. So I guess that's maybe why I was assuming that the NBA would just be a better situation for him. He's really young, though, so it does make sense that if he was going to get taken in the late first round, he's probably the money is not that different, I would guess. <clears throat> and he's really exciting to me, too. I think he's been somebody I've keyed in on this whole process. Um, as a, I mean, I don't even know what his position would be. I feel like he could play like two through four, but his athleticism is going to uh, no matter where he is. So maybe at restricts your ability to be versatile with him especially on defense but he's going to be an instant offense kind of guy his jump shot is seems as real as as you could hope for and he's incredible attacking closeouts he has a lot of touch inside that isn't normal as far as i know from a lot of those really young uh shooter type guys that that's really his role but then on he's been able to become more, way more comfortable inside. I think he's a, a really good option. I think 16 might be too high for him, but who knows? I mean, if he were to come in and really impress, then, you know, maybe maybe that changes.
0: From an Igor Kokoskov standpoint, as far as the fit in, into his coaching system after watching more of Eurobasket, I feel like Moose would be a really good fit because he'd just be a guy that, like you said, he's really good at attacking closeouts, which. He prioritizes, Kakauskov does, and he's a plus shooter, which Igor also prioritizes. So I think it could be a really good fit, even at 16, if they were to stash for a year or two, just to help with the cap situation. But before we end today's podcast, I want to touch on a really interesting analytical story I've been working on. It's going to be released in later tonight on Bright Side of the Sun. It relates to the Suns and how recent other analytical teams like the Houston Astros, the Chicago Cubs, and other NBA teams like the Golden State Warriors and Oklahoma State Thunder, who McDonough has said multiple times that they have studied on. And I think it's really interesting when diving in on more because when you actually look at the success that the Suns have had over the past three seasons, they are way behind those teams like golden state, Oklahoma city, because they did have those talent like Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry and all that. They don't have that right now. They might have Devin Booker as their main pillar, but they're still waiting on Josh Jackson and possibly the number one, or number two pick, however that falls in this year's draft. But when you look at those types of teams, and I think it's really similar to actually the Houston Rock- the Houston Astros, because when you look at their team, they almost single-handedly ignore trade, ignored free agency, just like Phoenix has the past couple of seasons. And, they relied solely on the development of big of prospects like Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Dallas Keuchel, all those guys. So it really seems like they're, if they're going to follow one of these four teams, it seems like they're following the Houston Astros route, which is just solely developing talent. But they obviously have these assets set for where they could easily do that this summer as far as rehashing this entire process. But what's your thoughts on the process of the rebuild so far for the timeline? Because it seems like McDonald's always talked about those two teams like Oklahoma City and Golden State, but I feel like it's not that realistic anymore.
1: Well, it, yeah, it, it it's because they're so far behind, I think you nailed it, that that it seems so outlandish to compare the situations. I mean, Golden State is was, I don't even, I still feel like it's tough to know what to make of them because they had this guy, Curry, who I don't think any, I mean, no one expected this. You know, I mean, at one point I feel like Clay was almost more appealing from the health standpoint that and then it just took the system and, and the talent around them and then stuff just exploded. That's a little bit different, I think, than Oklahoma City where you knew if they just developed the guys the right way and it didn't even take that much because of how much talent and, and work ethic they all had that they just kind of became great, right? But I think the Suns kind of seem more like the Oklahoma City route. If, if it's going to work, it's going to be that these young pieces who we haven't seen much from just explode once they have a few seasons in their career. And maybe we, we did see a little bit of that from Booker. I, I, that's where it really comes down to for me with Booker is kind of as we were watching his development this season and as excited as I think Suns fans understandably are to have a budding star type player again for the first time in a while, somebody who's young, who actually will kind of grow over the course of his career in Phoenix really haven't had that since you know Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion that's a long time ago you know what I mean some some Suns fans weren't even born when that happened when those guys were drafted so it's Booker to me and I think that the real problem when you try to compare the Suns situation to those situations is that Booker's not at the level of those guys
0: I think really it it seems like almost Phoenix is relying upon the top two pick aren't they it seems like I, obviously, they're not going to say this out loud, but if they were to get Luka Doncic or DeAndre Ayton, they feel like maybe that's the missing piece. Cause it seems like every single time I talk to McDonough the media is able to talk to him, he seems like, just give it another season or two, it's going to randomly click all of a sudden. They're going to be good for a long time. Do you feel like that's a smart idea?
1: I mean, it's his only option. I mean, you think about that it's been eight years, and I think that's a, a it's eight years that people bring up because that's how long they haven't been. But this this plan has not been in place for eight seasons. Um, there was half of that they still had Steve Nash. Then for you know a season or two they had a weird middling team with how good Ruggish and Bledsoe were, where they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing, and it was tough to really completely buy into rebuilding when you had this success. And they kind of figured that out. Drafted TJ Warren, drafted Alex Len, realized that that team was. Uh, not ever going to be a championship-caliber team, turned a lot of that stuff into really valuable trade assets. The Dragic trade was great. The Markeith Morris trade was great. Um, They made a lot of smart moves that led us to this point. So it's really been – I mean, you think about the fact that if you look at those Thunder situation, the Golden State situation, Golden State beat Denver in the playoffs before they were supposed to. Uh, Oklahoma City made the finals – around this point in the rebuild that the Suns are currently at, four or five years in. The Suns are are expecting this draft pick, the fifth fourth or fifth first round pick of the rebuild, to be the one that catapults them. Even if that works out, guys aren't great as rookies most of the time. So even if Luka Doncic is one of the better players in the league in his prime, how long is until his prime? Like we're four four or five years into what should be it should be starting to wrap up and we're just now getting to the point where we're drafting the guy who's going to change the franchise that's what's worrisome to me
0: yeah i'm glad you brought up the trades because when looking back on it they did move goran dragic isaiah thomas markeith morris other names and i'm i'm bringing up the list right now because it's very interesting to me you have goran dragic he was moved for obviously the 2018 first round picks for miami Isaiah Thomas was for a pick using the Marquise Chris trade, as was the Marquise Morris trade, which was used for an additional pick to get Marquise Chris in that trade on draft night. PJ Tucker was traded for two second round picks, Alec Peters in the number 58 pick in this year's draft. And then Eric Bledsoe was traded for the first round pick in 2019 or 2020, whenever that, whenever that conveys. So, what do you think that McDonald was thinking as far as trading these win now pieces for? He obviously was, was, was pulling an asterisk or sort a of thing where they just like wanted to bottom out for a couple seasons, but. What's your thoughts a couple years ahead now looking back on those trades?
1: I think that for the most part, he really did. Even, you know, you can knock McDonough, I think, and I was frustrated. I'm sure there's podcast evidence of my frustration when they traded Bledsoe and just the negative image that the franchise continues to have. Even You kind of saw it play out with the coaching search. There's just so much negativity, even locally, uh, and a lack of trust in the team to make things right, and, and that's understandable because he, he, you know, there's been ruined, ruined relationships and leaks to the media and things that got in the way of creating a good team. I think obviously that happened, but if you look at what he was able to do to salvage those situations from a you know team building and asset asset maximization standpoint, he's done a good job. I mean, he got a first round pick for Luis Scola. That's wild. I mean, that's even further back, but uh, he's done a, a really tremendous job. I think on the mo- for the most part, if you kind of weigh everything, I think McDonough's did, done a good job. Um, he was able to. I mean, in a way, Isaiah Thomas trade sort of ended up turning into Marquise Chris because they acquired the twenty eighth pick in the twenty sixteen draft, um, had the thirteenth pick as well, turned that into the number eight. So. If you follow it down the line, I think that he's done a good job of doing that. You know, even the the Sixers are a team we haven't mentioned as far as the rebuild. They're the obviously kind of crown jewel of the NBA as far as making that plan work. And they, you know, did a very similar situation. You just have to try to win every trade. You have to try to acquire the best young players in every possible situation that you can. Um, and, and I think McDonough's done a good job trying to do that I just think we haven't found the talent And you know, he should get knocked for that as well They don't have those players There's no Robert Covington on the roster you know, There's no guy who, even as they were losing Was able to develop into a good player It's a lot of just, you know, random piles of clay That have not been turned into really anything Resembling a coherent team at this point point. And that's five years, like I said, into this process It is a little bit troubling
0: yeah, for sure. I think it definitely is because when you look at it, we've only mentioned guys like Devin Booker. Even Josh Jackson was very late developing in the last month of the season. So I think he he's probably added to this list late. Maybe T.J. Warren if McDonough still values him as a critical six man piece off the bench. But when he, when looking back real quick on those four teams I mentioned earlier, the Warriors, Thunder, Cubs, and Astros in year four, the Warriors jumped twenty four wins, the Thunder jumped twenty seven wins, the Cubs jumped twenty four wins, and the Astros jumped nineteen wins. So. It seems like if they're following this path forward, we obviously don't know what moves they're going to make in the next couple months, but it seems like 500 has to be the goal for the Suns next year, right?
1: And they're have to; they they're going to have to win. I think that if they're not playing... I, I, I kind of measure it by meaningful basketball games. Like, if it's February, March next year and the games just don't matter, they're getting doubled up and it's just tanking again, That's a, that's a failure, I think, in the season. I, if, if nothing else, you know, young bad young teams can be playing or from a development standpoint, from a, you know, barely hanging on in the playoff race standpoint. There's, like, I think the Nets are a good example, maybe because they didn't have their draft pick, so it, it kind of was low stakes there, but I think the Nets are a great example of a team. They've been exciting at the end of seasons because they're showing development from their young players. Um, if 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 their sons are in a situation like that next year, you know, tail end of the lottery, somewhere you know in the back half of the lottery, probably not going to make the playoffs, but playing games that matter, having exciting moments, and uh, something resembling a core star that can develop into a championship core piece. I think that's that's really what it what it comes down to. And you know, it seems like we're a long way from there, but there's a lot that's going to happen between now and then. So this summer is is going to be going to be very interesting and very crazy
0: for sure I think as we all know it's coming down this summer it seems like this is going to be one of the most important summers in franchise history definitely the most important from Ryan McDonough's tenure so far so any final points for today's podcast as far as like what you're looking forward to for the offseason or the NBA draft or anything like that
1: no I think the the lottery is next Tuesday right
0: yep eight days away
1: yeah so we'll uh have plenty to talk about i'm sure we'll do an episode that night and i think that's the next big thing that i'm anxiously awaiting
0: yeah all of a sudden we've been saying i think for the last few months hey the lottery's two months away lottery's six weeks away all of a sudden it's less than almost just over a week away so it's really closing in super fast guys appreciate you guys listening on today's podcast we'll be back with you guys wednesday for another draft episode